Welcome to another episode of uh, Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. Uh, I am fascinated by this topic, employee-owned businesses. Uh, as an entrepreneur myself, I've realized maybe there is a lot of uh, blessings that come along with employee-owned companies. And we have an expert here. He has written many books. And I'm just going to read a little bit from his bio. It's extensive, so prepare, guys. Corey Rosen is executive director and co-founder of the National Center for Employee Ownership. Guys, guys, look it up on Google. It's easy to find. He has a Wikipedia page. It's a private nonprofit membership information and research organization in Oakland, California. The NCEO is widely considered to be the authoritative source on broad-based employee ownership plans. He co-founded the NCEO in 1981 after working five years as a professional staff member in the U.S. Senate, where he helped draft legislation on employee ownership plans. Prior to that, he taught political science at Ripon or Ripon College. He is the author or co-author of over 100 articles and numerous books on employee ownership and uh, co-author with John Case and uh, Martin Staubus of Equity, Why Employee Ownership is Good for Business. Now, that was done in 2005. The book that we are talking about today, though, is uh, Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What? Corey Rosen, thank you so much for being here, sir. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I think that our audience is going to love this because most of them, I would say, listening or uh, you know, watching on YouTube um, either have a business or are thinking about starting a business. So why is it uh, smart for us to give employees ownership of the business? What's the genesis behind this book? Sure. Well, there are lots of reasons why a company might want to do this. For companies that are startup companies, this is a great way to help attract and retain people. And of course, that's the key to making any startup success mm -hmm. is getting the right people on the train. And it is very common amongst particularly knowledge-based startups to share equity widely. And there are lots of different ways to do that, stock options and restricted stock and phantom stock and the like. For companies that are more established, let's say that you own a business, it's a successful business, and you're at that stage of your life when you're thinking, you know, I think I should start planning on what's next. Maybe it's time for me to sell this company. And you look around and you say, well, I could sell it to private equity, maybe. And most companies don't have a private equity offer, but if I could get one, maybe that would be a good thing. You know, they might offer me a lot of money or at least seem to offer me a lot of money, but then there are all these contingencies that go with those deals. And what are they going to do to my company? What are they going to do to my employees? I, I hear a lot of terrible stories about what happens after private equity buys a company and then three to seven years later flips it and some other private equity firm does it, buys the same thing. You know, I spent my whole life building this business. Is that really what I want? Or maybe I could sell it to a competitor, but they might do the same thing. They might move us out of state, shut down some of our operations. And maybe I'd like to stick around for a while in some role, but I'd like to determine what that role is and not have the buyer determine that role. So how can I deal with that? Well, an employee stock ownership plan is a really good way to do that if you're a company that's big enough, 20 or so employees and profitable that 
this is feasible to do because what it does is it allows you to take the future pre-tax profits that your company generates. So you, you use those future profits to buy your shares and you get a tax deduction mm. for doing that if you do it through an employee stock ownership plan. And that's the only way that you can do it. And second, you can defer the gains, the taxation on the gains that you've made from selling to this employee ownership plan by reinvesting in stocks and bonds of other U.S. companies. You can't do that any other way. And third, if the company becomes 100% employee-owned, it doesn't pay any taxes. Meanwhile, you can stick on in whatever capacity that you like. It's up to you to choose. So it's got a lot of personal and financial advantages for owners of business that are profitable enough and big enough to make that a, a realistic option. Well, let's go back to 1981. You were a part of the U.S. Senate. You proposed some uh, new ideas to them. What got you involved in that? Did you start a business? Did you realize the benefits of it? And then you wanted to share the uh, information to the many? What happened there? Well, I was a political scientist to start off life. I did that for a couple of years and decided it was a game I'd rather play than watch. And so I was able to get a fellowship to go work on Capitol Hill as a Senate aide and eventually made my way to the Senate Small Business Committee. And one day I was reading the congressional record, as staff people sometimes do, and I saw this testimony about this idea of employee ownership. And I didn't know what that was. Uh, so I looked at that and I read it and I thought, this is really interesting. Because I always, as I was working on the Hill, I always wanted to find a cause, something that I could work on that would make life better for people. Mm. And here was an idea that seemed to check a lot of boxes. Number one, it created another opportunity for wealth for people that they weren't going to get simply through their income. Number two, these companies, it seemed to me, probably treated their employees better. They sought their ideas more, gave them more of an opportunity to have input into the company because, after all, they were now owners. And third, and this was what really intrigued me besides those two great benefits, is that it turned out that Republicans and Democrats both like this idea. It's great to have an idea that could solve lots of problems if I ruled the world. But I don't rule the world. <laughs> and in the real world, you've got to find things that are not just effective, but politically possible. And so here's this idea that the Republicans liked and the Democrats liked, the conservatives and the liberals. I mean, even today, uh, fairly recently, you had a bill promoting employee ownership for defense contractors that was co-sponsored by Elizabeth Warren and Tommy Tuberville. You will never see, I dare say, Elizabeth Warren and Tommy Tuberville co-sponsor another piece of legislation together. <laughs> uh, so he, so it was. it's politically practical and it's economically effective. So that really intrigued me. So I got involved in proposing some legislation to my bosses. Uh, fortunately, there were three of them, and one, of them, and they all passed. But the most important was that I 
suggested this idea of allowing sellers to a company with an employee stock ownership plan. And that's a particular kind of employee ownership. Sellers to these ESOPs to defer capital gains taxes by reinvesting in stocks and bonds of other companies. And it took a few years, but that became law. Meanwhile, I thought, well, this is such a good idea. People don't even know it exists. They don't know how to do it. They don't know where to find resources. They don't know. We don't know, really know at that point whether it worked or not. Now we do, but then we didn't. So I'm going to start an organization, naively. <laughs> I'm going to start an organization to try to provide that kind of information and do that kind of research. So I went down to my basement and I said, this is the National Center for Employee Ownership. <laughs> and it took three years for me to actually get any money to pay myself. But uh, here we are today. We've got a staff of 20 and about 2,700 members. Oh, man, it's incredible. Yeah, I just looked you up on Wikipedia. I mean, you, you've done a great job getting the message out there. Uh, did you notice a transition in any companies after you have approached them or once they understood how easy it was to transition to an employee-owned company? Yeah, and the, the big barrier for a lot of companies doing this isn't that it's not practical. I mean, it's not for some companies. But the, the biggest barrier is that the business owners who might be really good candidates for this, they don't know what it is. They've never heard of it. And when they when somebody says, well, how about employee ownership? Their first reaction is, wait a minute, the employees couldn't buy the company. They don't have the money to buy the company. That's crazy. Well, that's not how ESOPs work. It's the future <laughs> profits of the company that are tax deductible that buy the company. And think about that. If some private equity firm comes to buy you or some other company comes to buy you, that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're saying, we're going to buy you because we think the future profits of the company will pay back our investment. Otherwise, why would they buy you? So they're using the future profits of the company. They can't take a tax deduction. The ESOP does exactly the same thing, and it can. Uh, so that's not how they work. It's not employees buying the company. It's much more practical. Secondly, they think if they if they get past that, they go to their accountant or their business broker and they say, hey, what about this ESOP thing? Well, a lot of those people, they don't know how it works, so they don't particularly want you to do it because maybe you'll hire somebody else. But even if they have a better idea how it works, just because of the way that the fees work, they generally can make more money by getting you to sell to somebody else. So they'd rather you not sell to an ESOP. Well, so people have to find out. And, and once they do find out, and that's a lot of what our work is about, is getting that information out there, a lot of business owners say, wow, this is great. Well, whenever I'm looking at this, I see a couple obvious benefits. I'm assuming that the, the tribe buys into the organization a lot easier, right? If right. you have any type of equity in the company, you take more pride in it. And studies show that individuals are not really looking for money per se. They're looking to be proud of the life that they're living, exactly. what they're building. So there's there's buy-in. I would assume it 
creates a cohesive culture, right? We're all on the same page. We're all going somewhere together. And then I would even say that individuals might even take less money if they have some type of stake in it, where if they were to sell the uh, property or the business, there's a bigger lump sum on the back end. So those are the three major benefits that I see. Are there any other ones that um, that I'm missing there that really stand out? Yeah, the, the, those are. Uh, for startup companies, it is true that often people will say, well, I'll take less salary in return for equity. And the company needs to do that because it doesn't have the cash right. to pay them competitive wages. For established successful companies, ESOP companies actually pay more than comparable companies. Oh. Wow. But they also, and they do that because they can, they generate, if you become an ESOP, what the research shows is that your sales, productivity, and employment will increase about 2.5% per year faster than would have been expected if you didn't have an ESOP. So these companies are doing really well, and that allows them to pay a little bit more. It's not a lot more, but a little bit more to help them to be more competitive on the labor market. The employees do help these companies perform a lot better. Turnover is dramatically lower. We did a study in the food industry during the pandemic when, as your listeners will know, the turnover rates were, were terrible and retention was a huge problem, getting people to come to work the turnover rates in ESOP companies were 70% lower than they were in non-ESOP food industry companies. And you see this same pattern in industry after industry where voluntary turnover is a great deal lower. And that's a huge deal for businesses being successful. So yes, you do get more loyal employees, but the thing that you really get that distinguishes these companies is, as you said, Mike, it, it's not so much the money per se, not that that doesn't matter to people, right. it does. But the sense that I go to work and I'm treated like a real person. I'm treated like somebody whose ideas are worth listening to. And I have an opportunity to share those. I, I wrote a book recently called Beyond Engagement, How to Make Your Business an Idea Factory. And it's based on what we've learned from the great employee ownership companies about creating these high engagement cultures. And the first line of the book is, it's simple. The best companies are the ones that generate the most ideas from the most people about the most things. Oh, And everything else is just a question of how do you do it? And you think about that, you know, if you can get people to work harder, that'll have a little bit of impact on your business if you actually do the math and I've done the math for typical companies, it can improve performance something less than 1%. So, you know, it's it's a real number, but it's not a huge number. But let's say instead that you're getting companies where employees are like the employees at Hypertherm. It's a 1,300 employee, 100% employee-owned manufacturer of plasma cutting tools. And they average two to three implemented new ideas per employee per year. <laughs> they're able to break it down to that metric. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they're very focused on this. So 
imagine if your company was getting two or three good ideas that it implements and make a difference in the company from every employee every year. You would be killing it oh, as they are. It's a great way to gauge if you're on the right path or not. Are individuals within your business presenting new ideas that number one, make their life better, but number two, make the business overall better. Oh my God. Now that I'm talking this out loud with you, um, I'm even thinking about people within my uh, company that sometimes present ideas. And sometimes I get a little frustrated because I'm like, oh, we tried that before. And then I have to turn them down and, and not have to hurt their feelings. But years ago, I would have prayed for people to come to me with ideas to make the company better. So it is amazing to see that because they're thinking longer term than just, you know, this week or this month. They're starting to think of where will I be five years from now? Let's fix it now so my life is better tomorrow than it is today. Wow. Great way to gauge it. And, you know, you can do this sort of thing in any company, obviously. But and you read people talking about this saying, well, we don't need to actually make employees owners to make that work. We do need people to have a sense of ownership, a psychological sense of ownership. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. I want to take all these people to dinner. And we're going to go to dinner and it's going to be a really nice place. They can soak up the atmosphere. They can help decide what to eat. They can, you know, smell the wonderful food and see its great presentation. They don't actually get to eat because a, a sense of dinner probably should be sufficient. And a sense of ownership is about as satisfying as a sense of dinner. Long term, people are going to start to think, wait a minute. I'm helping this company grow. For whose benefit? And if you're an owner, you know. You know, it's not just for your benefit. It's for Joe and Mary and Sally, who you work with. It's that community of people you now belong to. We're all owners here. And that's a lot more motivating to keep coming up with those ideas and feel good about it. It's great. And so is there any downside that stands out um, when people come to you and you give them this advice, do they have any rebuttals that are very obvious that you're able to overcome? And the reason why I bring that up is I talk to many entrepreneurs that they're building their company to sell it. Does, right. an, does an ESOP have a more difficult time in the transition period if you were to sell it? If you're building a business, it's a, it's a relatively new business, You know, let's say fewer than five or 10 years old, you're growing the business and your liquidity strategy is to find a buyer. I don't recommend you use an ESOP for employee ownership. I would recommend you use some form of equity grant. It could be a stock option, restricted stock, phantom stock, stock appreciation rights. How you do it depends on how your company's organized and your tax situation. There's a right way to do it for every company. But those companies will find that that's a more practical approach because an ESOP is costly to set up. It's six figures to set up one of these plans, and it has ongoing costs, maybe $30,000 or so per year for most companies. 
And there's a number of rules you have to comply with. You know, if you can get all these tax benefits, they come with rules. If you do these other kinds of equity plans, no tax benefits, but many fewer rules. So that's a trade-off you have to think about. If you are a mature company where you're thinking about business transition, the tax benefits of ESOPs are so large. I mean, deferral of capital gains, the ability to use pre-tax dollars to redeem stock. Normally, it's after-tax dollars. And then the ability to be a non-taxable company once you've sold. Those are huge benefits, not available any other way. And they dwarf the costs of setting up the plan for companies that, as I say, are big enough and are profitable enough so the deductions matter to make that worthwhile. But if you're a young company, you're a company with fewer than 20 employees or so, you're a company whose profits are inconsistent. And ESOP just is too costly and too complicated to justify the, the benefits that you're going to get from it. So, and there's something called employee ownership trust. That's another way that you can transfer your business that's much less costly, doesn't have the same tax benefits. But if you're a smaller business, maybe that that still pencils out because you get employee ownership, but you don't have some of the costs that go with an ESOP and the tax benefits aren't worth it at that size. So rather than think of employee ownership as this is the way you do it, think of it as I want my employees to be owners. What's the most appropriate way to do that? What tool in the toolbox Mm. is going to fit this problem. So good. Yeah. There's a philosophy that we have in our company is think like an entrepreneur. That's what we always say. Think like an entrepreneur. Now there are people in my company that, uh, they're not really the owners, but they're entrepreneurs, right? And so they own a sector of the business and they reap the rewards financially. Maybe there's not equity involved, but if they think like an entrepreneur, they problem solve differently. And therefore they take ownership of that sector at a much higher level. My belief is if more people thought like an entrepreneur, this world would be a much better place. So with this ESOP structure, what I like is that the average person could be an owner. They they can think like an owner and therefore they might be a little bit more educated when it comes to politics and maybe uh, financial literacy. So my question to you is throughout this research from 1981 all the way to 2024, are you seeing any type of trend that more people are becoming entrepreneurial? Are you noticing maybe the want to own your own future destiny, take control of your life is increasing? And let's just say one step further is, why is it that the average person that graduates from school has no idea about entrepreneurship when it's so significant to our society? So that's a loaded question, but yeah. I'd love for you to kind of, you know, unscramble well, that. We don't teach business in school. So it's not surprising that people come out of school with, with no understanding. I mean, I, I got a PhD and when I started on Capitol Hill learning about ESOPs, it was a whole new language to me. Uh, you know, I, I knew very, very little. Even my, my dad was a small business person, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know much about how that all worked. So it's not surprising that people don't have those entrepreneurial skills, or that they don't 
come into a business with uh, financial sophistication. One of the really interesting things about ESOP companies is that virtually all of them now are to one degree or another open book companies. That is, they share a lot of financial information with employees. That's great. One of my favorite stories comes from a company called SRC Holdings. They became employee-owned in 1983. And unusually, that was a case where the employees were taking over a failed division of what was then Navistar in a previously international harvester. They remanufacture engines. Mm. And they bought the 119 employees. They bought this company. They set up an ESOP. Jack Stack, who was then the CEO and still is 40 years later, said, we can't afford to lose any money at all. So I'm going to teach every one of these factory workers how to read a financial statement, a balance sheet, and we're going to create metrics at every single level of the company that people are going to track and follow weekly in huddles. We're going to teach people to be business people. Oh, it's great. And he did that, and they created this high-involvement management system around it where people not only had the information but could act on it without Jack's approval. SRC Holdings now has 2,200 employees. Its 40th anniversary was last year. Its stock price has grown over a million dollars. A million percent, I'm sorry. A million percent. And Jack says that's because they taught people to be owners. They taught people to understand how the business works. And they created a whole division called the Great Game of Business, which teaches people how to do this. It's a really, really terrific program. Wow. Great Game of Business. That's their that's their way of labeling maybe the education within the company. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's it's their system of running a company with this open book management. And they even go so far as to have a high involvement strategic planning where every single employee in the company, all 2,200 of them, are involved annually in the strategic planning process. So Jack Stack and SRC Holdings still, uh, still going strong. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're just amazing. Yeah. And so did he go from owner to creating the ESOP and that was the the big you know big transition or was it always an ESOP from the get go No so he was the CEO of the company when they were a division of International Harvester and International Harvester said we're going to shut you down Got it okay. And Jack said can we buy it And he got a bunch of other managers together and they put up some of their own money they got an, a they went to 50 banks and they finally found one that would loan them at a debt to equity ratio of 89 to 1 the banker who made the loan got fired but somehow they managed to get this loan and then they set up an esop almost immediately after that so that the employees owned 30% of the company now they own 100% so jack was not the owner at the time jack led a group to buy the company and then created this management system that's been so wildly successful. 
psychologically, um, maybe there's some stats that you can uh, relay to us, but uh, I, I once read this study that showed what makes the person the most happy in their life. Is it, uh, is it a product? Is it like a house or a car? Or is it an experience? And what they find out, what they found out in the study is that by far the happiest people have experiences, but there's right. one other person above that. And that is a person that has an experience of building something that is tangible, that they can see. So the happiest people restoring a car, for example, or building a house or building a business. So is there anything that you came across throughout your research that shows, yeah, you know what? Psychologically, these employees, number one, had more buy-in, but when it comes to their psyche, they were happier people because they were having the experience of overcoming problems, slaying dragons, and obtaining the gold. Therefore, it's almost like a personal development journey disguised as this business journey, therefore leading to a happier existence. Anything that you're able to see? Yeah, well, I would take it one step further and say that what, what I've seen in the research is that the happiest people are the people who have a sense of purpose. And there are two different kinds of happiness. Uh, there's happiness in your life, which is I went to a great dinner. I, I saw the Warriors win a basketball game or whatever, and I'm happy. Then there's happiness with your life. And that's the ability to step back and say, I've led a good life. I've made a difference. I heard a keynote speaker once who had a tremendous impact on me, really. He said, and it was at a great game of business conference, actually. He said, you know, when people look back on their lives, almost nobody says, what do I want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as I was really rich or I was really powerful, or I had a big house or a big car. What they want to be remembered for is what they did for other people, what contribution they made that made life better for other people. And he said, you should live your life thinking about what do you want to be remembered for. And for entrepreneurs who can say, you know, I built this company, and now I've turned it over to the people who helped build it with me. And they're doing really well. We know in ESOPs, for instance, that the retirement assets of ESOP participants are three times that of comparable employees. So I built this company that's created this community that's good for the place I live in, good for the people who worked with me. That's an enormously satisfying thing. 76%, according to the Exit Planning Institute, 76% of business owners who sell their businesses regret it a year later. Mm. 76%. In ESOP companies, the numbers are reversed. ESOP sellers are really happy with the way things worked out. They feel good about it. I don't know how you put a price tag on that relative to selling to other companies, but I'd say that one's pretty high. Oh. Great. I love that stat. So I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Have you ever read that book? I've not. Okay. It's by Robert Kiyosaki. It's standing behind me here on a little swivel because it's changed it, yeah. my life. And I, I try to mesmerize my audience because they should read that book. It taught me what an asset is, right? I used to think an asset is something that you own. Well, the definition of an asset in that book is something that pays you. 
And I believe, and this does tie into one of the aspects of an ESOP, is that it creates a fairer, more stable society. And so if the individuals out there going to school everywhere around you understood that if they just take their money and then they buy assets first, and then they have their assets pay for their liabilities, such as their trips to Hawaii or their cars or any pleasure that they seek, that will change everything. And with an ESOP, what you're doing is automatically giving these people an asset. So is there anything else that you can tie in with how it does create a more fair and stable society? Yeah, Mike, I love that question. I gave a speech about this a couple of years ago about how employee ownership can help create social trust. If anybody wants to link to that, let me know. And what I said in that speech was that it's pretty obvious that social trust is eroding in this country. And there are lots of reasons for that, but it's it's a really decaying what we're all about in this country. And you're seeing that manifested in our politics and our culture. People aren't simply people we disagree with anymore. They're the enemy. Mm-hmm. And how can we restore that? Well, that's a big challenge, and employee ownership's not going to be the sole solution. But part of the reason that people don't have social trust anymore is they think the system's fundamentally unfair. That they, you're right, it's great to develop these assets so you, you have a more secure financial future to build on. But 50% of the population can't put its hands on $1,000 in an emergency. So where does it come up with the money to buy those assets? Well, what an ESOP does is it says, like you say, Mike, what an ESOP does is it says it's going to be part of your working. It's going to be a benefit of working here that you're going to develop this asset. And as I said, the employees in these companies have three times the retirement assets of comparable employees in retirement plans and 50% of the private sector workforce participates in no retirement plan at all, 50%. So ESOPs provide a way for people to get over some of this tremendous wealth insecurity that makes people so angry and disappointed. Secondly, as I said, employee ownership companies, when they do it right, and fortunately most of them now do, and create these high involvement cultures, there's a sense of community. You're working now with people who are often very different from you, different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different educations, but you're all owners. And you learn to talk to one another and respect one another. And hopefully maybe that can carry over into your life more broadly. Great. I think uh, I think just business building is very spiritual. And what you're talking about there is it's, you build now, you create value, which gives you purpose. Once you start to realize that your ideas, your work ethic actually produces more value in something and those around you, it gives you more wind in your sails, right? It gives you a burst of energy. It gives you that purpose that you are always seeking. And I do believe it leads to self-actualization. And I think that if more people thought like owners, this world would absolutely be a better place. 
but they would also be in the mindset of creating wealth rather than just creating an income. And I think that's crucial. So I love this message that you're sharing with the world. Um, outside of your own book, this is something we ask every one of our, our guests. Is there a book that really put you on this path or made you fall in love with capitalism or entrepreneurship or just business in general? Anything that made you who you are today? Well, not about business, no. Um, <laughs> Philosophy. That, you seem like a very good uh, philosophical individual that I could speak with for hours. So anything? There are books that really affected me. Uh, the book, I suppose, that resonated the most with me was a book called Angle of Repose. And it's a famous Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Wallace Stegner, a great American writer. And... It's about 19th century, it goes back and forth, 20th and 19th century. It's about this woman who ends up owning a coal mine. And angle of repose is when you've got a coal mine and the coal is falling down a hill, it's that point at which it stops falling down the hill. And that's called its angle of repose. And the metaphor in the book is that everybody in their life needs to find that angle of repose in their life, to try to find that point at which you feel comfortable. This is where I belong. Uh, that that I've thought about that a lot. And in finding the work that I do, to me, that's that's been my angle of repose, because it does talk on, it does speak to what you were saying before that we want to find a sense of purpose. For me, this is the sense of purpose. And you know, I've been doing this now for a very, very long time. Uh, I stopped being the director 12 years ago and uh, pretty much became a close to full-time volunteer because I love doing this. Because what could be better than to get up in the morning to work with people I really value and like as individuals to see change happening in the world where people's lives are being made better and something that's intellectually interesting that's pretty special yeah you uh you're definitely sharing the same message we are think like an entrepreneur but also serve those around you and sometimes owners can really share their wealth and their the, the ownership of the company with their community and uh, you're going to get the best out of the people and the people that you serve. Wow. It's great, man. Um, social media wise, is there any uh, channel that you recommend anybody follow you on? I know that it's easy to find you, I believe on, uh, is it, is it, what's the website? NSOP? Is that what it is? So uh, our, our website NCEO, is NCEO. the best, org. best place to look, nceo.org, our initials National Center for Employee Ownership. So www.nceo.org. We also have a website, esopinfo.org. Uh, but you'll find out most about us on our own website. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can also find me there or connect with me there. And those are the, the best two ways to do that. But I really, I love to talk to people. I love to get emails from people. My, my email is crosen at nceo.org. Uh, so send me an email, give me a phone call. Our number's on the website. My email's on the website and uh, be more than happy to see if this is something that makes any sense for you. This is great. Uh, guys, if you just pull up Corey Rosen on Amazon, many books, 
check out a few of them. Uh, the one that he mentioned before, I think it was, uh, oh my God, I'm just going to read off of you. <laughs> Understanding ESOPs, Guide to Equity, Compensation, Beyond Engagement. I think that's one of the ones you referenced. Um, there was another one. I'd, I'd actually go to our website because um, you get the book. Buying it from us sometimes will get a better price. Uh, but then the money, if, if we sell, frankly, if we sell it on Amazon, we get a few bucks. And if we sell oh, I know how that works. Website, we'll yeah, they better. keep most of it. I but, know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you go to our website, nceo.org, there's a tab that says publications. So that'll get you a list of all of our publication. And they're categorized in a way so that you can see what areas to look for in terms, because there are a lot of books, to see which ones are the ones that will be most of interest to you. Crucial uh, information that you gave in regards to creating an, an, an idea factory. And that's the book that you mentioned, Beyond Engagement, How to Make Your Business an Idea Factory. I'm going to pick that one up and check it out because uh, I love what you said. And it does show that you're on the right path. If individuals around you in your in your company are always thinking about how, do you, how, how can we as a collective progress together? And I think that's crucial. So... Yeah, and the book is very nuts and bolts. It's not about aspirations. It's about this company sets up this specific kind of structure, these specific kinds of teams, this specific kind of feedback. So the idea of the book was to give you enough examples to say, oh, I'm going to try what that company's doing. I'm going to look up SRC Holdings and Jack Stack because he's giving me some ideas too. Um, Fascinating. Corey Rosen, it's been an honor to talk with you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank for you, being Mike. Here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Guys, check out his website, nceo.org. And remember, a million dollar book will lead to a million dollar life. Right on.